Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, the Knicks fell in game one, but there has to be a way that won't happen again in game two. And we have on just the man to tell us how the Knicks can change their fortunes. It's Dallas Amico, the writer at the Strickland, recently a film expert at the Strickland. Tim and Stacey Patton put out an amazing video on YouTube breaking down the entirety of the Hawks offense. But Alex, we had him on this podcast to tell us what adjustments the Knicks have to make coming out of game one. Yeah, we talk about quite a bit uh, about how Dallas feels uh, about the Knicks chances going forward based off the game one result, sort of the note that we ended our post-game podcast on. Uh, Talk about Tibbs versus Nate McMillan in the coaching battle, why Dallas thinks Nate McMillan actually took round one in this one. Talk about... Uh, trying to stop Trey Young, what the Knicks can do to to make that happen, uh, how they can balance the officiating versus you know trying to get a body into Trey Young and that sort of thing, and uh, just talk about some other you know stylistic things that the Knicks can do uh, on the floor, you know to to make life harder on the Hawks, things that they can do on offense to sort of uh, take advantage of what the Hawks are giving them. And vice versa, what they could do to try to stop the Hawks. So just lots of really great insight as far as uh, X's and O's and things that the Knicks can do on the court from Dallas in this episode. And finally, just a a series prediction uh, from Dallas at the end. So we get into all that and more next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. Here he comes. Right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. I'm Gavin Shaw, and now resumed play-by-play broadcaster. He's Alex Wolf, the editor and chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website in the world. And we have on one of the smartest writers on the Strickland staff, Dallas Amico, joining the pod. Once again, Dallas, you and I did one earlier in the season, and now we are joined by Alex. So you get the full trifecta. How's it going? And uh, how how you, how you feeling, man, uh, after, after that game one? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've had some time to sober up and calm down. Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, I think, you know, I think uh, the the more I've reflected on it, the better I feel about where the Knicks are. There's certainly things to clean up, uh, but we did leave a lot on the table. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to just get into it and talk about it a little bit. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start off by this will be a nice little continuation for people asking you the last question I asked Alex at the end of our previous episode, which is after game one, and this is this is a hard thing to ignore, but pretend we live in a virtual world where we're going back to zero zero. Ignore the fact that the Knicks are down one zero 
Do you feel better or worse about the Knicks winning this series after seeing a game between these two teams? After seeing this most recent, the the most recent game, if it was zero yeah. zero, yeah. Um, I think I feel maybe a little bit better if it's zero zero. A if little bit. Wh- why? Uh, so I mean. My biggest concern coming in was, well, how, I mean, how do you stop this offense? Um, I didn't actually have too many concerns about us being able to score a little bit, uh, but and and there were there was a a lot of cases where um, the Knicks defense wasn't particularly great, and yet we still held them to uh, relatively low output given their you know season averages, uh, and I think we I think we did okay on defense and there were there were certainly some you know like uh gallo missed an enormous number of open threes uh, that i don't think we can expect him to continue to do um and they left a little bit on the table too but just on the whole i was impressed uh like on a big picture sort of perspective with how our defense did despite there being major glaring errors in in various parts of the game but then offensively it just felt like we played terribly uh, that we really weren't ready for what they threw at us, and that their um, uh, schemes worked, but they're not things that we should expect to continue. I don't think, like you know, switching every time uh, or nearly every time, such that like Bogey or Herder ends up on Julius, and then shading with Clint Capella doesn't seem like a super sustainable way to beat the Knicks to me. Um, you know, Julius, what he did a lot last game was like, you know, licked his chops. He's like, oh, I got Herder on me or whatever. I'm going to just attack the hoop. But with Capella being there, shading uh, and ready for him, uh, he had very little success. So I think he'll either, um, you know, start uh, attacking with the intention of passing uh, once he draws both players. Um, or, 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 and then also, you know, there were a number of those times where they sort of showed that double but he still had a lot of room on the baseline and just missed a bunch of those like fadeaway jumpers that he ordinarily makes. So just in general, I'm expecting a big uptick from Julius, probably a step back from Burks. But but on the whole, yeah, I mean, it's still going to be a super close series, but I would feel a little bit better if uh, about it than I did the night before if it was 0-0. Zero, zero. So you had said uh, on Twitter and and I know privately as well from, from seeing the discussions uh, that Nate McMillan won the coaching battle in game one over the Knicks and over Tibbs. Uh, why, why do you think that is? What do you think it was that, that the Hawks brought to this that was better than the Knicks? I mean, I think that we, Gavin and I went pretty, I don't say super deep on some of the things that we thought Tibbs kind of failed with in the first game. Uh, the obvious one starting out for Peyton, which no is just like, the one major, major blind spot of his at this point. But then after timeout plays left a little bit to be desired, the final play left a lot to be desired. Um, and some of the, some of the little stylistic things, but between the two of them, I know that you, you watched a ton of film on the, the Hawks. Uh, you know, you put out a really nice video on it for the Strickland and a nice article and all kinds of great stuff. Uh, so I know that you were intimately familiar with what they were going to bring to the table. Um, what, what did you think about kind of how the, the Hawks, uh, approach this matchup differently maybe to sort of come out with this win versus how the Knicks did to eventually end up with a two-point loss yeah so I mean a couple of things uh just like so ways that I thought McMillan 
um, did an excellent job schematically. The first is what I already mentioned, the switching um, smaller guys onto Julius Randle, which I think, you know, um, it was pretty clear the Knicks weren't quite ready for that. And uh, secondly, he did an excellent job of mixing up coverages without spending too much time in coverages that weren't beneficial to them. So they would throw in a blitz or a switch or uh, a zone um, coverage here and there. And you could tell multiple times when they would switch to these, the Knicks had to think for a minute, right? It wasn't what they expected. It's not what they had seen most consistently um, uh, when playing the Hawks in the past. And just those, you know, if you can get the Knicks off um, kilter one or two possessions, that makes it that makes a big deal coming down. Um, you know, uh, if if you if you if you get to stop one or two possessions that you otherwise wouldn't have, uh, and so I thought he did a really good job doing that. Uh, and then on offense, um, uh, so they ran a number of actions specifically designed to target Nick's help defenders in the pick and roll. So there were these times watching live where I was really frustrated, um, where it was like. You know, it seemed, you know, in pick and roll defense, you always have to give something up, right? You're either going to give up uh, that sort of like floater or you're going to give up the pass and hope you can close out or scramble uh, the pass to the shooters, you know, uh, on the wings of the corner, or you're going to give up the lob. Uh, you sort of have to decide. You can't take everything away. Um, that's part of the beauty of the pick and roll. But there were times where it seemed like the Knicks were giving everything up where Trey Young was coming around screens with the trail defender so far behind him as to not be connected. Um, the big was like trying to play both the, the, the floater and the role, but not really taking either away. And then we were helping so far off shooters that, you know, the, the three pointer was open as well. So it was like, there were times where it looked really frustrating. Um, going back through, I think one of the things that happened is just, uh, I mean, there, there were, you know, we have terrible point of attack defenders who are playing. Um, so Rose is not good. Alfred Payton is not good. Trey Burks is not very good. Um, even quickly is not very good, um, you know, as, in terms of being a point of attack defender. So most of the time, Trey Young coming around screens was just had nobody connected to him and really nobody within like a foot or two of him. Uh, so that, I mean, that's a problem. But what, what I was impressed with, uh, with respect to McMillan was the way he was, um, uh, targeting our help. So, for example, uh, there was one pick and roll where um, you know R.J. Barrett was in the corner and he was the bump man. So his job was to come down and uh, you know bump uh, Clint Capella as he was rolling uh, to the basket. Typical sort of pick and roll defense. But at the very moment that he was prepared to run down and start um, bumping, his man started to cut to the basket. Um, but he didn't cut all the way. He just faked it just enough to make RJ stop and be distracted by him, which then let Capella get to the hoop without having a bump man on him. Um, and that's one example of this sort of targeting the help. But McMillan had a number of different actions designed to target the help last night. And I thought a lot of them were uh, uh, really clever and worked well, and the Knicks weren't ready for it. Uh, and you know, I expect that to be better, but they weren't ready for it. And that's a way that I think McMillan won. Um, yeah. And another thing, the last thing I'll say about this, just in terms of the coaching battle, 
the stuff you mentioned, I'm on board with. Like that last play was was terrible. Um, but the uh, um, Hawks have this tendency, and I wrote about it in my uh, article that came out. Uh, to they have a tendency to run the same set over and over. So if you see them come down and run a Spain pick and roll, you should know that almost certainly, or at least the probability is way higher that their next time down, they're going to run it again. Um, and if they run like a horn set with a double, you know, double pin downs uh, on the side, they're almost certainly coming back and running it again. And oftentimes they'll go through the same set three times, four times in a row. And we saw them do that last night with Spain. So I don't expect to see that again the next game. The next game, I think they'll probably use a different set that they're going to cycle through. But if you're a Knicks defensive player, and if you're the coaching staff, you have to tell them, look, if they run Spain pick and roll, next time down the court, be ready for Spain pick and roll because they're going to freaking spam it. They're going to run it again. Um, this is a tendency of theirs. And you know, it just looked like the Knicks weren't ready for it because they kept running Spain and the Knicks kept not defending it well, right? Which if they had been like, oh, they're going to be running this again, you would think they would be ready for it. But over and over, the big was surprised by the back screen uh, and it just created chaos. All right, Dallas, I want to I want to dive deeper in what adjustments the Knicks can make in terms of pick and roll coverage and in their overall coverage of Trey Young. But first, I want to tell people about Lucy. Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. Research and developed for three years to be made for people, not patients. Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in three flavors, including wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. Lucy also has a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in three different flavors, cherry ice, citrus, and mint. Lucy lozenges and gums are FSA and HSA eligible, so you can use your FSA cards to purchase Lucy now. And it's convenient and discreet. Products can be enjoyed anywhere, on flights, at work, on the go, or even in the gym. It's it's so exciting to hear that there's an option out there for people who really need it. It's 2021. Get rid of your cigarettes, unplug your vape, throw out the dip, and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. This is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month. It's so simple, and you don't have to leave your house because Lucy has delivery down. Lucy lozenges and gums are also FSA and HSA eligible, so you can spend pre-tax dollars on them. Locked on NBA Network listeners, go to lucy.com and use promo code Locked on NBA to get 20% off on all products on your first order, including gums or lozenges. That's lucy.co and use promo code LOCKEDONMBA at checkout. Also, I have to give this disclaimer warning. This product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code LOCKEDONMBA. And if you want to get some parts for your car, be sure to head to rockauto.com. You guys might have heard my personal anecdote recently. I had my check engine light come on the other day, scared the crap out of me. I was like, oh man, you know, as if my car hasn't had enough issues recently. I had to get an axle replaced recently. That was not super cheap. I didn't really feel like dealing with an engine repair. I later learned that I was just missing a gas cap and uh, that apparently makes your your check engine light come on. So where did I go first? Well, I went to rockauto.com naturally, and just for kicks, I compared their price for gas caps to even Amazon, and it was even cheaper than Amazon, if you could believe that. 
Uh, it was only five bucks for my new gas cap. This one has a tether on it. So, you know, I'm in New Jersey. We don't pump our own gas here. So I'm kind of at the mercy of other people as far as my gas cap being put back on every time. Now, I'll know it's attached to my car so that, you know, they're not going to be able to leave it on top of a, a gas pump again. Very good thing. And it was so inexpensive coming from rockauto.com. That's because they always give you the best prices. They always give you the prices that are lower than what you could even get for a mechanic price at some of those brick and mortar auto parts stores. And it's a really great company, a really great place to order parts from right to your door. So if you want to check out what's available for your car or truck, they do have things bigger than just gas caps, I promise. But I was just in a bind. I needed one. So I got one delivered. Uh, you could go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you if you decide to pick up a part. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right. All right. Oh, go ahead, Gavin. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I'll uh, let you go because you wanted, you wanted to continue with that. So let's, yeah, I was going to bring up the Spain pick and roll, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, that I mean, we, we, it's worth getting into that. I mean, it, it was a play that the Knicks got burned on again and again and again, but Dallas, I kind of, I kind of want to quickly get into it from a more holistic perspective because we saw Trey Young in this game at different points. Like we, we, we all, all these different stats were put out there as, about how it was one of the greatest uh, playoff debuts for any player ever, and the Knicks really had their issues slowing him down. The flip side of that was they, by and large, especially compared to the third game against the Hawks, did a great job of stopping Clint Capella. Uh, he didn't kill them on the boards in terms of offensive rebounding. Didn't really. Totally killed them on lobs, got a couple of important ones, um, but the Knicks made their trade-offs and it felt as if for parts of the game, they were making the right decisions. It helps that the Hawks shooters missed a number of open threes that you, you typically don't really see them miss. Um, but down the stretch, obviously, Young sort of flipped that narrative on his head and, and completely took over using the Spain PNR, using those stagger screens and, and seemingly getting to his floater or to the foul line at will. What are the solutions you see from the Knicks that the Knicks need to have on that front going into game two? And maybe this is a completely separate note, but how crucial is the absence of Mitchell Robinson? Because I think I saw you put out on Twitter at one point that you thought it would be a five game series in the Knicks favor if they had Mitch and his ability to take away two things at once is so crucial. And that, that really stuck with me. And it was something I was looking out for throughout the game. And I saw there were moments where Noel was able to do that. Like there was one play in particular where he was able to rush out on Young, get him to pick the ball out, uh, excuse me, pick the ball up, then recover on Capella. Young went for a little layup, then recover back to Young to get the block. And in the early games against the Hawks, we saw Mitch make plays like that over and over and over again. And it feels like with Noel, he's really good. He's doing his best, but it's just a lot to put on one guy to essentially have to guard in Young and Capella, two borderline all-star, all-NBA type players at once. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, so to the point about Mitch um, and just, I mean, pick and roll defense in general, uh, being able to take away both options as the big in drop and trail coverage requires this convergence of exceptional size, exceptional athleticism, and exceptional technique. Um, Noel has the athleticism. He doesn't quite have the size, right? Like Mitch is significantly bigger than him. And then he just fails out with respect to technique. Um, so way too frequently, Noel will 
he just like he opens his hips um, way too far. So if you if you sort of like just slow down and really watch pick and rolls and watch him in his coverage, um, you'll see him open his hips, which allows uh, the ball handler to have an easier trip to the hoop. Uh, sometimes I think he does this because he's sort of, uh, you know, trying to egg the ball handler into to shooting um, a layup where he can block from behind. But what it actually does is it gives them that access, which forces him to commit as if he's going to block, right, which opens up the lob. Um, so that technique uh, is just a really poor one in general. And if you watch Taj, on the other hand, you'll notice he almost never opens his hips up. He keeps um, uh, them always pretty much uh, on an angle with, um, uh, you know, like he forms sort of like a triangle with the free throw line and the baseline, um, you know, or with the corner of the free throw line and the baseline, um, where he's, you know, like, like at an angle there. And he keeps his hips that way um, intentionally. And if you, you just pay really close attention to him, he has, he has awesome hips. But the problem with Taj is he both lacks size and he lacks athleticism. So he's technically sound a lot of times, but doesn't have the size or athleticism. Um, so Mitch has that confluence, you know, that, that convergence of those three things. And uh, especially, I mean, he didn't until this year, I don't think, but he, ha- he developed the technique this year that was really impressive. So I, I really do believe that Mitchell Robinson, even with our poor point of attack defenders, would be able to erase a lot of the advantages Trey Young was able to capitalize on yesterday, just because of his his technique. But we can't, you know. You the other question you asked about was, well, what can we uh, do to stop it? What should we, what should we change? Well, one thing you can't do is put Mitch in, <laughs> since he's he's injured, and it doesn't seem like there's much information about when he's coming back. But or perhaps one of you have more information than I do, but uh, uh, nope. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, that's a nope. <laughs> not, not this round is it seems seems like the answer. Okay, yeah. So, but so, what can we do? Well, I think uh, to the extent that we're going to keep the coverage that we're running, the sort of drop and trail coverage against, uh, and it's not even full drop, right? Like they sort of come up to the level of the screen and then back up. Um, uh, quickly or, or come at least pretty close to the level of the screen, but to the extent that they're going to keep that coverage um, and continue to trail over uh, the screens, I think you just have to change who is the point of attack defender. You have to have somebody who can stay connected and keep his body on Trey Young because that's what's going to make him ultimately uncomfortable. And that's what's ultimately going to result in mistakes and more importantly, or maybe not more importantly, but also as importantly, is it's going to result in him getting tired as we go through the series. So here's a, a major failing, I think, from game one, is that uh, Trey Young, I believe, hit the ground like two times or maybe three, and all of them were flops after shots. Um, he, <laughs> basically the entire game, was untouched on both sides of the ball. Uh, so he... It, you just can't have a guy who's both that who's that small and that uh, you know uh, wh- has that high of a usage who's just not getting any any physical contact. Um, this is the playoffs, and we're bigger and we're tougher, and you've got to make him feel you a little bit. So the biggest thing I would do is put Reggie Bullock uh, in, insofar as we're doing uh, you know the starting lineup is especially. I mean, obviously, I would pull 
Alfred Payton, but I would have whoever is out there, whether it's Rose or whatever, Reggie Bullock would be on Trey Young. Um, and when Reggie Bullock is not out there and you're going to go with, like, if you're going to go with whoever you're going with, um, I think you need to put Frank in when Reggie isn't out there. Um, and Trey or Frank need to be on, uh, or excuse me, <laughs> Reggie or Frank need to be on Trey at all times. That's, I mean, that's my view of the easiest, simplest thing without changing much schematically that you can do to really make life harder for him. So I want to get into that in a minute, but I just got to remind everybody that today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. You can probably get some pretty good odds on the Knicks right now after that game one loss. They were already the the light uh, underdog in this, so probably a little more so now. Baseball season's also in full swing. You can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, UFC, and MMA action uh, before the next pitch or tip off, whatever. Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device at BetOnline.ag and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs or in the case of the Knicks and the NHL. I don't know. I guess really most <laughs> most of these leagues are in the playoffs right now, unless you count the MOB is gearing up for the playoffs. So head to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with promo code Locked On. Again, go to betonline.ag and use promo code Locked On for 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, and we're back with Dallas Amico, and we're talking. Uh, Dallas, you you brought up that one easy schematic thing the Knicks can do is is try to bother Trey Young more in this game, and I agree. I think that it's going to be important to sort of be up in his jersey to a degree, maybe hit him with a hard foul or two. You know, n- don't do anything flagrant, but don't don't let him just get up there. You know, put a body into him and that sort of thing. Um, the only issue that I see with that, and this is where I'll throw take this in sort of a different direction. It's sort of general, but honestly, it has everything to do with Trey Young. Uh, the officiating, I think, was extremely frustrating from a Knicks perspective in Game One because it seemed like they went about their business saying, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna do our best to not foul Trey." Uh, for the first, you know, uh, well, not even just for the first three quarters. They played it. They played him the same exact way the whole game. But the officials at a certain point decided that breathing on him became illegal. Um, you know, it just it was there was just this really stark shift from I, I don't know exactly the minute marker, but it was basically just the stretch run of the fourth. You know, he went from not having a single free throw attempt through the first three quarters and change to then getting nine to close the game, which is insane. I mean, that was like. I think the Knicks ended as a team with like 15, 18, something like that, you know? So he got like half the Knicks total free throw attempts just in the last like five to seven minutes just by himself. Um, I So I, I agree with you that I think that maybe they should try to get a little more physical with him. But I wonder, I mean, how much are you putting yourself in a situation then where if you make them call those or maybe it could have an opposite effect. I don't know. I go back and forth with this, right? Perhaps if you start the game really really rough on him and you you rough him up a little bit maybe one that deters him a bit and you know makes him 
less likely to try some of the same stuff that he normally tries. But, you know, maybe also, I guess the like other way than what I was initially going with to look at this would be, you know, he, if you foul him hard at the beginning of the game and you sort of set that tone, then maybe they're less likely to call the sort of ticky tack stuff at the end of the game because they say, well, you're not beaten up on him anymore. So, you know, that like that RJ call, for example, where Trey went out of his way to create contact and then drew the two free throws on what at any other moment in that game would not have counted as a foul. Uh, but they decided to, you know, play ref ball at the end and have that count as a foul. You know, maybe you don't run into that. Um, if, if there had been more of a precedent set early, the other way of looking at it, though, is that then it's just the refs get used to blowing their whistle early on. And then it just becomes, you know, an extremely tight whistle game where they're just going to be, you know, constantly trying to to find the foul calls for Trey Young because, you know, it's like, oh, well, the Knicks came out really super aggressive on him. So we know that they're, you know, we know we got to keep an extra eye on the Knicks now as it pertains to Trey Young because they're going to try to get after him and, you know, get up into his space. So what, what's your thoughts on that as far as, I don't know. That's sort of like a weird psychology question. Almost like it's almost, it almost starts to transcend basketball and get into like, you know, how these things are going to affect the referees and like their mindsets and stuff. And it ideally officiating should not be so subjective as this, but unfortunately like that's just the nature of the NBA. So like we kind of have to have these discussions about, you know, how certain things are going to affect how the referees call the game, even though there should just be one rule book, that they stick to at all times and there shouldn't be this much variance all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a great question, but I, I don't know how to answer it, you know, like in terms of what, what the refs are going to do um, or how they're going to perceive things or whatever. Uh, I ultimately think like as a team, you probably can't worry about that. Um, Cause like it's out of your control, you know, they're going to, you know, like you can, you can basically not touch him all night like they did last night and still end up having him have nine free throws in the fourth quarter. Um, you can have a game like that Lakers game where it was like one of the most physical things I've ever seen and very few free throw calls, you know, or foul calls, um, at least for it, g- given how physical it was. Um, but can you predict what they're going to allow? There might be something to what you said about setting the tone. That sounds sort of plausible to me about like st- starting off pretty physical. Um, and then that creating a baseline for how the game is going to be. Um, because in general, I think refs are going to try to avoid calling too many fouls in a game. So if you can start the baseline like that, maybe that makes sense. But just on the whole, I think like you really can't do that uh, or like can't think about it like that. You have to have your game plan. You try not to foul, like be physical with him, uh, get your body into him. And you try to not play defense with your hands, as Clyde always says, play with your body, especially in guys like Trey Young. Um, and otherwise, you just have to, you know, control what you can control, and you can't control you can't control the refs. Uh, I mean, that's what I'd say. I don't know. I don't know if Gavin, if you have thoughts about it. No, I think I think it's similar. I, I don't think it's worth focusing on in a sense because officiating is so variable from game to game, and, and getting different crews every game, and just different. I mean, it, it could be as something as simple as like how that refs day was going. I just I, I think Alex, to your point, when, when you start talking about human psychology, at least from the officiating perspective, it's so unpredictable. It's hard to fixate on, but I, I, I do think physicality. And I mean, just to get back to what Dallas said um, an answer or two ago, the idea of putting bigger, stronger defenders on Trey just as a rule. Um, obviously you want to make him 
you you want to make him feel you every single time he gets into the lane, but you're going to accumulate more body blows just by having a bigger, stronger guy on him from the get go, in my opinion. But Dallas, I want to I want to flip sides of the ball. Um, do you think the Knicks did enough to attack Trey defensively? Because we saw stretches where they do it, and it would it would generally go really really well. Um, Ariel Pacheco, I, hopefully I'm not totally butchering his last name, had a really good thread on Twitter just just going through and breaking down the entire game. And, and he was noting essentially every time the Knicks attacked Trey Young, they got a double team out of it. And and I was going to say some kind of swing-swing sequence that led to an open shot, but it wasn't even that complicated. They, they were usually one pass away from an open shot after generating that kind of double team on Trey. And it felt like in the fourth quarter, um, at points they went away from that a little bit. And and maybe it was because Alec Burks was so hot and they were just kind of able to to get him the ball. And at different points, it was just him creating stuff out of thin air. But I'm curious if you think that's an option going into game two. And, and if there are other mismatches similar to that, the Knicks can try to exploit. I, I know this is on a completely separate note, but I, I really like the one time the Knicks put Gallo in pick and roll um, with Obi and, and Burke set him up for that really nice dunk. And it's not, it's obviously something we've all been calling for and not seeing a whole lot this year in terms of Obi running pick and roll. But if Atlanta is going to aggressively target Obi on the other end in a similar fashion of how Trey Young's going to aggressively target uh, the entire Knicks defense on the other end of the floor, uh, the Knicks have to make both those guys pay in turn uh, when they're on offense. But how do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm totally on board. Um, so I think Trey was not, uh, he wasn't targeted enough. So here's basically what you have to do. I mean, if you watch the film from last night, it's hysterical. This is a playoff game, right? This is game one of the, you know, uh, the first round and you watch Trey's film and he basically does not try or give a single shit on defense. (laughs) Like he just literally walks around and like, he the second you make any sort of move on him like rj barrett posted him up a couple times and he would make those simplest little moves and trey would just be like yeah okay i'm beat and he just and he would let his defense try to cover and then they'd scramble so i think what you need to do is keep attacking him to the point where he has to start playing defense right like get it to a point where you've capitalized on that action so many times you know just the same way that the hawks were going back and back to the well, right, with the Spain pick and roll. Um, When you find something that works, you go to it. And it not only has benefits on that side of the ball, but it has benefits on the other side of the ball. If you can force him to start having to work and start having to, you know, like take body blows from R.J. Barrett, right, well, that's that's an incredible win for you. Um, Yeah, and then you're absolutely right about Gallo. I thought uh, every every time he's on the court, uh, when you're not targeting Trey Young, you got to target him in pick and roll. Or when he had single coverage uh, multiple times on Julius Randle, uh, Randle wasn't taking him. And uh, that's a ginormous mis- mismatch. Um, Gallo hasn't moved laterally since like 2014. Um, so like you have to take that. Like Randle is one of the best side to side movers as a big, um, you know, hit him with a quick cross and you should have him beat basically every single time. Uh, uh, to the cup and at least if not score, get the defense in rotation. So yeah, I'm, I mean, those are, those are the two big mismatches. I mean, really there's mismatches everywhere though. Uh, So any one of our guards against any one of theirs. So like I'll take Rose on 
Herder or Bogey or Trey any time of day. I'll take quickly against those guys. I'll take right like our Trey Burks against the our, their guards uh, as defenders are terrible. Um, and another one that hopefully we'll start to see more is Randall being able to attack John Collins, which he wasn't able to do as much uh, at least in that eight minutes where Alfred Payton was on the floor because <laughs> McMillan put. John Collins on Alfred Payton, which is like one of the biggest insults. Um, but it allowed him to, uh, you know, hide Collins and uh, play the defense they played on uh, on Randall. Yeah, I agree. That was that was definitely not a phenomenal moment um, <laughs> as far as as far as uh, Nick's playoff history. There, getting uh, one of your players essentially being the free pass for the other team uh, to start the game just doesn't seem like a great idea. Um, Leaving that aside, I think, you know, other than maybe that uh, point guard spot in the starting lineup, I think inarguably the, the most important thing that the Knicks need to address going into game two is getting Julius Randle comfortable and finding him looks that are going to get him going early because I, I think Julius is very much a rhythm player that, you know, he needs to establish the tone early on nights when he's going to have big nights. You know, that's how it went against the Hawks. That's, I mean, how often now do we see where it's like, oh, Julius Randle, 12 point first quarter, 14 point first quarter, whatever. You know, he needs to get going early in order to kind of keep that ball rolling. He's like a, he's like a rolling rock. You know what I mean? He just, he needs to get going early down the hill if you want him to, you know, play a complete game. Um, So I, I think that, it's going to be very important for the Knicks to find him some easier looks to start the game. If you were Tibbs and the Knicks coaching staff and, you know, even Randall himself, what would be the things that you would be looking to do to get Julius some easy looks against what was shown to the Knicks in the first game, you know, from the Hawks defensive end? So Julius had a number of good looks that he passed up. So one, one of the things that happened was they, uh, you know, egged him into, uh, you know, uh, attacking the hoop uh, by putting, by switching and putting smaller guys on him. But meanwhile, so especially really early, um, what you would have happen was, you know, you get like Kevin Herter on Julius and you're like, oh, giant mismatch. But Clint Capella was shading towards him in the paint and John Collins was on Alfred Payton. And so he would basically 2-9 as well. So they're both basically in the paint, just waiting for Randall. Um, so Randall would beat Herter, because obviously, um, but then he would have two shot blockers ready and waiting for him. Now, Collins isn't the greatest shot blocker, but when he has time like that um, uh, to sort of gear up, it doesn't matter who you are, that's a lot of big bodies to try to score against. Uh, so, but, but what shot was available there? Well, Randall can just shoot over Kevin Herter anytime he wants, right? No problem at all. So, um, you know, when he gets the ball behind the three-point line, I think, uh, especially if he's seeing that defense again, he needs to just be comfortable with just letting it fly, just taking some of those shots. Um, he's proven he's a great three-point shooter, and that's basically... You know, Kevin Herter on him is basically an uncontested three, you know, like that's, you know, or slightly contested, um, uh, basically no matter what he does. So that's one thing I absolutely would do. Uh, another thing is um, I think 
Julius Randle, and I've been saying this all year, and we haven't really seen it um, too much, uh, ought to be the pick-and-roll ball handler. Um, and he ought to be setting more ball screens uh, as the role man. Uh, both of those things he needs to do more of. Uh, but specifically, I think the former. Um, so if he has somebody like Gallo on him, uh, you can set you know, a screen with like Derek Rose if Trey Young is guarding Derek Rose or whoever is guarding Trey you know, Young is guarding. Um, and now you have this terrible mismatch, right? Or if John Collins is guarding him, it's the same sort of thing. Um, bigs aren't very good at getting over or under screens. And if you go under the screen, Randall will have an easy shot. If you go over the screen, I mean, Gallo is not going over a screen and saying connected to Julius Randall uh, and Trey Young is not going to pick him up. Um, so you're going to force the defense to collapse and get them to um, uh, get them in rotation and create advantages that way. So uh, by all means, using whoever is guarding Trey, uh, whoever Trey Young is guarding as the screener for Julius Randle, um, I think is a great way uh, uh, to get advantages. Now, they did do that once or twice last night, but what happened is Randle didn't attack immediately, so he gave them time to get through the screen the once or one, one or two times that they, they went to that action. So what he has to do is the second that screen is uh, set, he has to attack because that doesn't give um, the his defender time to get through the screen and set up and it forces Trey Young to either help or you get to attack a, uh, a, 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 a defense that is in rotation now. Um, so that's, that's how I would try to get him going. Those two things. All right, Dallas, uh, final one to bring this podcast full circle this time, taking into account that unfortunately the Hawks do have a 1-0 lead. What is your prediction for how the rest of this series goes? And you, you can do this with the knowledge that I already bummed everyone out by picking the Hawks to win in six going in. So there, there is some precedence for depressing everybody listening. Uh, but if you don't want to go that direction as well, I, w- I would love that too. So what's your prediction for the rest of the series? <laughs> oh, I hate making predictions. It's so hard. Um, so the team. If you don't want to do that, maybe. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say the teams seem really. They seem even to me. Um, I do think the Knicks. I think the Knicks have a slight advantage, but the Hawks have, in terms of like. I, like, I just think if we got to play this, uh, you know, a seven-game series 50 times, I do think the, the Knicks um, would come out and win it more, more than not. And I think the reason is, I, I mean, I just think they're better. I think they're a little bit better, especially when it comes to the playoffs. And I think a lot of the reasons why the Hawks won last night, um, partially a little bit of it was Julius Randle having a really bad game, and part of it was Tibbs getting out coached. Uh, but in a, you know, some of that had to do with the element of surprise and with the Knicks not being ready for certain actions or certain Hawks tendencies, and that's not going to last, right? So I think if you like get to play this out over and over, the Knicks have the advantage, um, and even as the ser- as the series goes on, they should get gain an advantage. Uh, that advantage should start to materialize. But the Hawks now are up a game, and that's a huge advantage as well. Um, they've won home court back, so. Uh, Man, I don't know. I don't know. I think if I had to bet money on it, I would put. A, I would probably say Hawks and six, um, but I I would not do that happily, uh, it, and not because of my fandom, but because I think it's 
it's that's not a great bet to make if it's even odds, you know? Um, yeah. We, we've heard it over and over again that this, you, you can make the case that this is the most even series of any in the postseason. Some people were arguing for a heat bucks, which if, if you guys are looking over that score, no longer seems to be the case. Um, it's going to, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, game two, obviously a must win. And Dallas, I can't thank you enough for, for giving us all the, all the ways the Knicks can go and do just that. Uh, before we send you out, though, can you, can you let people know where they can find all your work? And uh, a reminder to everyone that you put out that great YouTube video um, with our guy Stacy Patton breaking down the entirety of the Hawks' offense, which will stay relevant throughout the series because it's, it's a lot of what we did see in Game 1 and, and maybe some stuff we haven't yet that will prop up uh, later on. Yeah, yeah. Check out that YouTube video and check out the companion article at the Strickland 2. I think it's just called uh, something like an in-depth look at the Hawks offense. Uh, You should be able to find it pretty easily if you go there. It's also my pinned tweet, and you can find me on Twitter at DallasAmico underscore. My handle is BasketballRobot. But during the games, I might be, um, you know... (laughs) a little uh, ranty and ravey. I... I got pretty into this last one, so uh, usually I try to offer some cool-headed analysis, but when when the lights go on and the game starts, uh, you know, all bets are off. But uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. This was a blast, and I hope to do it again. Yeah, yeah of course, man. I, I think people like a little a little bit of both, and um, I, I know I know you're also a, a philosophy student, so we'll, we'll have you on in the summer, and we'll we'll talk about that. Hopefully, hopefully later rather than sooner if the Knicks continue to advance. <laughs> that sounds great. We'll talk about Nick's philosophy, roster building (laughs) philosophy. (laughs) Beautiful. All right. Bye, man. Thank you. Take care.